Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, August 30th. We begin with a look at medical exemptions that may prevent someone from getting a COVID-19 vaccination. We discuss with the Doctor of Preventative Medicine from Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. Next, an announcement by the University of Calgary late on Friday has a lot of students up in arms. We get details from the president of the U of C's student union, Nicole Schmidt, on the announcement that over 150 in-person classes will now be moving online this semester. It's been such a dry summer for us in an already traditionally dry part of the world. So how's your skin holding up? We touch base with a local dermatologist for some tips on how to bring your skin back to life. And finally, this week in our weekly Motivational Monday segment, we meet Anne. Annie Galley, a family physician turned life coach. We hear Annie's story and suggestions to spark motivation to help you reach your goals. Well, we've heard lots of talk about mandatory vaccinations to fight the coronavirus or just vaccinations on the whole. But what makes you medically exempt from that? Well, it turns out it's very rare here in Canada. So with more details on exactly what counts as a medical exemption to getting the shot, we're joined this morning by Dr. Barry Pakes, who is a physician and director of the university's public health and preventative medicine residency program at Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. Good morning to you, Dr. Pakes. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Okay, so I've seen a lot of people talking on social media about how they have this or that medical condition and they should be exempt from any kind of vaccine, especially when we talk about a vaccine passport, for example. Let's break it down exactly in Canada. What constitutes a medical exemption from a COVID vaccination? So, um, you know, there's a lot of complicated and ethically difficult and practically difficult aspects to this pandemic, but vaccine exemptions are, are probably the simplest thing we have there. And, and it's not about Canada or anywhere in the world, really. It's just from a, a medical standpoint, there really is only one thing that exempts people from the vaccine, and that's a, a documented allergy to one of the components of the vaccine. Uh, and that is extremely, extremely rare. Um, you know, really this thing called polyethylene glycose, which is actually in something that people use regularly for constipation. It's available over the counter. An allergy to that is probably the only thing that would make you ineligible to take the vaccine and get an exemption. Dr. Pakes, when you talk about an allergy, and again, as you mentioned, sounds very, very specific. How would somebody know? Would they have had an allergic reaction in the past to previous vaccinations? Or how, how does somebody come across this? So it's it's incredibly rare, you know, in the in the order of like a couple dozen people probably in Alberta. It's not a, a something that that we ever talked about anyone being allergic to before COVID. I personally, as a as a physician, have prescribed this you know peg stuff. Many kids take it. Many many kids, you know, a large proportion of kids who have constipation take it when they're babies. And I've never ever heard of anyone being allergic to it. But it you know there is something out there, and, and some people are allergic to it. And and really anybody who is would kind of would know. Um, the other, you know, uh, sort of secondary aspect to things that would be uh, an exemption would be if you already got a dose of the vaccine and had a severe allergic reaction, mm-hmm. perhaps that's the first indication that you were allergic to PEG, then you wouldn't be getting uh, a second vaccine. So that would be your exemption for being fully vaccinated, either if you had a, a heart uh, issue, myocarditis from the first shot, or if you had an allergy from the first shot, you wouldn't be, uh, you would be exempt from getting the second one. So really, other than this peg part of the vaccine, there's just not anything in it that could make people have an allergic reaction. For the most part, are we talking as a gross generalization? Because there's nothing live in these vaccines, right? 
That's right. You know, there are a couple of other, you know, ingredients in there, but, you know, such incredibly minute quantities um, that, you know, it's really not worth talking about. The, the PEG allergy is, is the main one. And again, it's very, very unusual. Um, so, you know, it, it is rather simple. That's pretty much it. Um, anything else that's being claimed, you know, certainly some, you know, needle phobias, that sort of thing. Um, there are clinics that we have, at least in the area that I work in, that are available. And even actually, importantly, those allergies that I just spoke about, you can get the vaccine if you have those allergies. You just need to get it in a controlled and supervised environment where, where you know, they would have facilities for you just in case you did have a reaction. Dr. Pakes, we, we can find a lot of information when it comes to, to vaccines and to COVID-19 online, but I'm guessing if people are reticent to get the vaccine for whatever reason, would you suggest to contacting their family physician and setting up a visit to talk about it and discuss the vaccine? Sure. You know, that that would be a reasonable thing to do. I don't, you know, it's part of the country that I come from. There's a lot of people without family doctors and, and family doctors and seeing people virtually and having a lot of trouble catching up with all the, the important stuff that they need to do. But, but certainly for people who are still hesitant and, and have a good relationship with your family doctor, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, like I said initially, this one, as opposed to almost everything else, is really not complicated. The bottom line is if, if you're over age 12, um, chances are the vaccine is the right thing for you. Um, and certainly a lot of people um, do speak about immunocompromising conditions and that those make them exempt. And in fact, it's really the opposite. I've spoken to a number of people who've said that, and I say, actually, not only should you be getting the vaccine, you should probably be getting a third dose right now if you're immunocompromised. Thank you so much for the update. Appreciate your time, Dr. Pakes. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. That's Dr. Barry Pakes, physician, director of the university's public health and preventative medicine residency program at Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. And students at the University of Calgary enrolled in in-person classes. But on Friday, very last minute and ahead of a weekend, the institution notified some people the classes they signed up for might now be taught online. With more information on why this is causing such a stir, we're joined by Students' Union President Nicole Schmidt. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. You know, this is super topical because uh, I got an email from a mom over the weekend whose daughter had signed up for classes at the U of C and they got the same letter saying, you know, some of your classes are now going to be online and they're really upset by it. So I think most people can understand why you sign up and you pay for in-line school, in-person schooling, I should say, and now they may push it back to online. What are you hearing from students? Absolutely, and I think that's a, that's a very valid concern. So the student union at the University of Calgary has been completely inundated with student complaints over the last several days from students who have had their courses moved online at the last minute. Um, so keep in mind, this is just two weeks prior to classes starting. So the student union is not consulted by the university ahead of this decision, and the number of complaints that we've received from students is unprecedented. Uh, students have been busy planning their schedules and lives for the fall semester. They registered for classes in good faith and expected the university to honor student decisions around the learning format but instead the university has pulled the rug out from under students with less than two weeks to go until classes begin moving many students online who had originally signed up for in-person classes. Nicole what if any recourse do students who put their good money down to be in person have at this point? Uh, Well, as of right now, um, because the university did not consult with the students' union, um, we're trying to see what we can actually do for these students who have had their learning format change. So as of right now, the students' union is calling on the University of Calgary to honour how courses were originally intended to be delivered when students registered in them. And failing that, the students' union believes that the university should reimburse students for their expenses occurred um, for any students who had many or most of their classes suddenly move online. Yeah, I mean, you know, understanding 
understanding that it's a business and it's been a tough go, but when you pay a lot of money for a university course, which everybody does, you know, and you're expecting one thing and you, and you get to, you know, te- teaching online again, it's, most people don't learn well that way. And especially when you're at the university level. Exactly. Well, our big concern here is sort of the timeline in which this decision was made. Um, So many students, especially international students, have already traveled to Calgary. We have approximately 700 international students who are currently going through quarantine in residence or at hotels. Um, And, you know, how many of these students have traveled across the world and already spent thousands of dollars on flights and damage deposits or rent just so they can arrive in Calgary and find out that most of their classes are online? Um, It's also not much better for domestic students as well who may have just moved closer to campus or who are paying rent or even just purchased a parking spot at the university. So this definitely impacts thousands of students. All right. So as far as the call to action for the students who might be listening to this, is it best to reach out to to you folks at the union, the students' union, or should they be uh, contacting the office of the registrar? Definitely. So reach out to the Students' Union. Um, We're currently collecting feedback on the impact that this is having on students. As of right now, we know that this uh, has impacted at least 150 classes and counting, which translates to thousands of students. So definitely reach out to us. We want to hear your feedback. Um, But also, you know, reach out to the university itself. Reach out to the provost. I think that, you know, students' voices need to be heard. Um, This is a very last-minute decision, and students are paying the price, literally. At a normal time, if this was not COVID, you know, if somebody decided they wanted to pull out two weeks before classes, could they get their money back? Absolutely. So the University of Calgary has a course drop deadline, um, which is actually several weeks after courses begin. Um, So if students need to switch classes or need to potentially withdraw from a class and take a different one as a substitute, um, they have that ability to. So they have that ability uh, several weeks into the semester. Um, Unfortunately, though, with the decision that the university has made now to switch the course delivery format, they're not really offering students that flexibility that they should have for a fall semester that's going to be, um, I'm sure, quite challenging in a lot of ways. Nicole, thanks for the update. It's got to be stressful for those students in this situation. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That is Nicole Schmidt, a Students Union President. You can find more online at su.ucalgary.ca. it's been a hot dry smoky summer and now we're moving into fall and winter so how do these seasonal transitions affect our skin time to check in with an expert and see what kind of skincare goals we need to start thinking about now joining us is dermatologist dr nicole hawkins good morning to you doctor thanks for being with us Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Boy, uh, okay, every season really is, especially here in dry Alberta, but summer is tough on our skin. Uh, So Mm -hmm. as we move into the the fall and the winter, which one is the worst season for our skin or epidermis, as I like to say it, being a, you know, a so-called not doctor myself? Well, that's a bit of a loaded question. I, I agree with you. So we're we're up against many challenges living here in Alberta. That dryness is is number one, mm. um, and then in summers like this summer past, we have the uh, the added challenge of the smoke in the air. So I think getting a bit of a break from the smoke and from the intensity of that heat wave that we had, um, it, we're giving our skin a little bit of a break into fall here, which uh, which is nice for all of us because um, certainly summer is tough on the skin, but summer with smoke is even harder on your skin. Well, with the exception, Dr. Hawkins, of people who have a 
uh, that's been diagnosed skin condition. Uh, what mm-hmm. can what can the majority of us do who just suffer from dry skin? Is it as simple as putting on some moisturizer? Or do you have any other tips for us that can help us get through this dry time? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So one of the things that I tell most of my patients is uh, we, we, we tend to overuse uh, soap and body washes and those sorts of things. Most of us aren't actually that dirty, believe it or not. And so those, those soaps act as a detergent and they actually take some of the natural oils out of your skin. So I tell people to cut back on the soap in the shower and, and try to cut down the length of your shower, not too long and not too hot. And then uh, applying a moisturizer or as we like to call it an emollient on the skin after the bath or shower helps lock in some of that moisture. And I know you're supposed to do it when you're still a little bit wet, right? Mm-hmm. After the bath or shower. And so exactly. what about spending, you know, face creams and body lotions? We can spend a heck of a lot of money on those. Is it worth it or is there one particular ingredient we just need to be looking for? So that's a great question. There's, there's uh, truly, there's a great products now at every price point. I'm always looking on the shelves, you know, when I'm at the big box stores, Costco or Walmart or what have you, and they carry all these the really good brands. The main things you want to look for, I always tell my patients, look for one that's in a tub, like a jar, in terms of using a body moisturizer, those tend to be a little bit thicker than the ones that are in a pump. Okay. And, and so a little bit thicker tends to be a little more moisturizing for the skin and also sometimes can even add that barrier protection. Um, other things to look for, there's a Canadian Dermatology Association approved um, products. And these products generally are free of most common allergens and irritants. And again, these are at every price point, um, from the really high-end ones uh, to to ones that are available at your drugstore. Dr. Hawkins, thanks so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's Dr. Nicole Hawkins, dual board certified dermatologist with Dermapure Calgary. Well, we've heard lots of talk about mandatory vaccinations to fight the coronavirus or just vaccinations on the whole. But what makes you medically exempt from that? Well, it turns out it's very rare here in Canada. So with more details on exactly what counts as a medical exemption to getting the shot, we're joined this morning by Dr. Barry Pakes, who is a physician and director of the university's public health and preventative medicine residency program at Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. Good morning to you, Dr. Pakes. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Okay, so I've seen a lot of people talking on social media about how they have this or that medical condition and they should be exempt from any kind of vaccine, especially when we talk about a vaccine passport, for example. Let's break it down exactly in Canada. What constitutes a medical exemption from a COVID vaccination? So, um, you know, there's a lot of complicated and ethically difficult and practically difficult aspects to this pandemic, but vaccine exemptions are, are probably the simplest thing we have there. And, and it, it's not about Canada or anywhere in the world, really. It's just from a, a medical standpoint, there really is only one thing that exempts people from the vaccine, and that's a, a documented allergy to one of the components of the vaccine. Uh, and that is extremely, extremely rare. Um, you know, really this thing called polyethylene glycose, which is actually in something that people use regularly for constipation. It's available over the counter. An allergy to that is probably the only thing that would make you ineligible to take the vaccine and get an exemption. Dr. Pakes, when you talk about an allergy, and again, as you mentioned, sounds very, very specific. How would somebody know? Would they have had an allergic reaction in the past to previous vaccinations? Or how, how does somebody come across this? So it's it's incredibly rare, you know, in the in the order of like a couple dozen people probably in Alberta. It's not a, a something that that we 
ever talked about anyone being allergic to before COVID. I personally, as a as a physician, have prescribed this you know peg stuff. Many kids take it. Many many kids, you know, a large proportion of kids who have constipation take it when they're babies. And I've never ever heard of anyone being allergic to it. But it, you know, there is something out there, and, and some people are allergic to it. And and really, anybody who is would kind of would know. Um, the other you know uh, sort of secondary aspect to things that would be. Uh, an exemption would be if you already got a dose of the vaccine and had a severe allergic reaction, mm-hmm. perhaps that's the first indication that you were allergic to PEG, then you wouldn't be getting uh, a second vaccine. So that would be your exemption for being fully vaccinated, either if you had a, a heart uh, issue, myocarditis from the first shot, or if you had an allergy from the first shot, you wouldn't be, uh, you would be exempt from getting the second one. So really, other than this PEG part <clears throat> of the vaccine, there's just not anything in it that could make people have an allergic reaction? For the most part, are we talking as a gross generalization? Because there's nothing live in these vaccines, right? That's right. You know, there are a couple of other you know, ingredients in there, but you know, such incredibly minute quantities um, that you know, it's, it's really not worth talking about. The, the PEG allergy is, is the main one. And again, it's very, very unusual. Um, so you know, it, it is rather simple. That's pretty much it. Um, anything else that's being claimed, you know, certainly some, you know, needle phobias, that sort of thing. Um, there are clinics that we have, at least in the area that I work in, that are available. And even actually, importantly, those allergies that I just spoke about, you can get the vaccine if you have those allergies. You just need to get it in a controlled and supervised environment where, where you know, they would have facilities for you just in case you did have a reaction. Dr. Pakes, we, we can find a lot of information when it comes to, to vaccines and to COVID-19 online, but I'm guessing if people are reticent to get the vaccine for whatever reason, would you suggest to contacting their family physician and setting up a visit to talk about it and discuss the vaccine? Sure. You know, that that would be a reasonable thing to do. I don't, you know, part of the country that I come from, there's a lot of people without family doctors and, and family doctors and seeing people virtually and having a lot of trouble catching up with all the, the important stuff that they need to do. But but certainly for people who are still hesitant and, and have a good relationship with your family doctor, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, like I said initially, this one, as opposed to almost everything else, is really not complicated. The bottom line is if, if you're over age 12, um, chances are the vaccine is the right thing for you. Um, and certainly a lot of people um, do speak about immunocompromising conditions and that those make them exempt. And in fact, it's really the opposite. I've spoken to a number of people who've said that. And I say, actually, not only should you be getting the vaccine, you should probably be getting a third dose right now if you're immunocompromised. Thank you so much for the update. Appreciate your time, Dr. Pakes. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. That's Dr. Barry Pakes, physician, director of the university's public health and preventative medicine residency program at Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.